Welcome. This is the Life Habits podcast series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 33, and the topic for today is electronic communication. Let's start with a series of interesting and insightful quotes. The first is from none other than Marshall McLuhan, who says, The new electronic independence recreates the world in the image of a global village. Earl Warren says, The fantastic advances in the field of electronic communication constitute a greater danger to the privacy of the individual. Storm Jameson says, We need the slower and more lasting stimulus of solitary reading as a relief from the pressure on eye, ear, and nerves of the torrent of information and entertainment pouring from ever-open electronic jaws. So, those will get us started in thinking in interesting ways about this topic of electronic communication. wanted to, before we got to the top ten list for today, review some interesting statistics. First, I asked the followers of my Twitter accounts to respond to a question with regard to the amount of or the proportion of their interactions with other people during a typical day and what percentage of those were via electronic means. And the responses suggested that about 66% of the interactions that anyone had during a typical day were with others via electronic means, which is a significant amount of all of the interactions that we have with one another. And it's not surprising when you think that we have, uh, the statistics vary a little, but uh, roughly 1.6 billion people using the internet. We have 1.4 billion people using email. We have another 200 million people who use Facebook regularly and the estimates range between 10 and 20 million people who use Twitter. So we're seeing all kinds of electronic communication going on, but in my view, very little sort of analysis or perspective on how best to use these electronic means of communication. And a lot of the time people just wading in, not changing their behaviors, their styles, their interactions, and not really giving in an awful lot of thought at all. And so I thought it would be appropriate to compile a top 10 list on overall electronic communication to address you know, those, uh, those issues. And the first of the top 10 list is a very typical uh, first and number one item. For those of you who listen to this uh, podcast series on a regular basis, and that is to assess your communication trends. You know, we talk about trends in overall, you know, industry and use of these technologies in general, but look at your own use. Look at uh, what percentage thinking back right now of your communication is in fact electronic. How much of it is via email, via conference calls, via Twitter, via Facebook, etc. Get a sense yourself of something that may have crept up on you, and that is the number of the interactions that you have with people that are mediated by electronic capabilities. And when you look at that trend, and you also might actually come across that certain people you interact with almost entirely, you may have only met electronically. And that's something that we wouldn't have had some number of years ago. And it's also the case that I think when you take stock uh, of the number of interactions that you have that are electronic, may also get an appreciation for the channel of communication that you're using with regard to all of those and realizing that that channel is rather important. Now you may also find that you 
uh, aren't using electronic means of communication in a variety of areas of your of your life and you might actually want to increase that as well so the overall perspective here is to see the real benefits that this means of communication can provide you as well as to mitigate any of the downsides and the rather negative things that can also come about with regard to electronic communication consistent with the nature of the quotes that I started this session with as well. So the first one is just get a sense of what your use of electronic communication is really all about and what types of things you're doing electronically versus not. Number two is to actually sit back and link to family, friends, and colleagues and really increase if you aren't there already with your use of something like Facebook. You know, you hear a lot about Facebook. A number of people may have actually signed up and not really using it. Uh, a lot of the time people sign up for these things and because everybody else seems to be doing it, but not really, you know, getting into it uh, in particular. But I think something like Facebook, you should really get an appreciation for what the possibilities are. You know, these are instances where, in my own experience, I've linked up with people that I haven't seen uh, for many, many years, and people that I would never have been able to find again, either me finding them or they finding me, with especially the latest, you know, over the last year or so, increase of use of, uh, of Facebook uh, there is really a phenomenon now where there's a feature on Facebook where it recommends that there's some people that you might know that you might want to add as friends and regularly you come across people now, at least in my experience now, where I uh, have somebody that shows up there and I click on the link to them as a friend and make a connection that I haven't had for many, many years. And like I say, would never have been able to know how to get a hold of that person either. And, you know, you can choose the degree to which or the intensity or the bandwidth uh, you want to use to link to particular people. And uh, you really want to make sure that you set the level of, uh, of information you want to share consistent with the type of friend that they are. So uh, I happen to have categories of, uh, and you can set these up. So when you add somebody as a friend, you can indicate whether they are family, whether in my case they're, they are colleagues or they are uh, friends, or if they're internet friends. There's some people that I've only met there. I don't really know, you know that well, really. And so I appropriately set you know, four different groups of friends, category, you know, generically referred to as friends, but are different in the ways in which I like to share information, you know, with them. And so I just very simply, when somebody requests to be added to my friends list, I just indicate uh, with a little drop down box that's available on the, uh, on the little window that you use to add somebody. Uh, indicate what type of group they would be in. But I wanted to also reinforce that not only is it good for, you know, reconnecting with friends that you haven't seen for a long time, and it's great to see, you know, what's going on in their lives. And like I said before, you can, you can choose to follow up with them in person if you like uh, and, and get reacquainted. Uh, but you can also just leave it at getting some level of perspective on where their lives are at, you know, what their families are like or whatever's going on into their lives. And you can choose to go deeper or not so deep with, you know, anyone, you know, there. And same goes for colleagues. I've been finding that just having colleagues, people that I work with on a regular basis on my Facebook list actually provides an insight that really is valuable to get a different perspective on their lives, their families, the things that they out do outside of work, or even some of the time, the things that they do that are related to work, where they may well be saying what they're reading or listening to, or the kind of music they're into or whatever. I find that it sort of adds to the richness of your experience with 
people that you work with by having some level of insight into what their lives are like. Now, you want to still be, you know, careful and determine, you know, whether a certain somebody that uh, you've met anywhere uh, should be somebody that is a friend of yours on Facebook, uh, but, uh, and, and take that into account. I mean, when I say colleagues, you don't necessarily want to add your person that you don't get along with at all, you know, at work uh, to your list it might make you uncomfortable about certain things that you might put there, even if you restrict the access to the information that you put there. But so do it wisely. And we'll revisit this in, in a few points here about overall privacy, but I wanted to first of all just really reinforce the value of using something like Facebook for, like I said, friends, for colleagues, and also family. I mean, there are instances where you may well have family that lives close by. It might also be people that live some distance away. And I'm finding that linking up and directly connecting to even fairly distant family, distant in both that you don't know them all that well, or they're farther away uh, geographically, that it's really quite interesting and really quite uh, enjoyable to get connected via Facebook with regard to that as well. So I I would suggest number two here really to use the capabilities within something like Facebook to your own advantage in the ways that you that I've been describing here and that you yourself can uh, derive as well. So you connect with all of those folks, you can share with them a variety of ways uh, providing uh, uh, input. And again, I'll get into that in a second. The third item is to, on Twitter, uh, and this is the new one that, uh, well, relatively new, year, year and a half, you might want to get into as well. It's very different. It's sort of an acquired taste. It's it's not quite as, as uh, obvious when you join Twitter as compared to, for example, Facebook, to know really what the value is. And a very common experience, if you're experiencing this yourself, you know, I'd like to reinforce that it is a common experience of first signing up for Twitter and really not knowing what to do and not really seeing the value in it. And then letting you know it lapse for a while, it could even be a few months, and then really getting back into it and getting rolling with some level of value that you see in it. And you could actually get quite heavily uh, in using it on a regular basis as well. But it's a very common experience for people who join Twitter to not really get it or not really see the value uh, in it. And um, in this case, uh, you can the value you can actually uh, get from it. And again, what my experience is uh, for it is to connect with and find people that you want to follow that are of interest to you. And uh, I personally don't follow really any celebrities, but a lot, a lot of people do, and they find that really enjoyable to be able to, to get the essence of the nuances and the small aspects or large aspects of their their lives. Uh, you can also follow experts in your field, and I do that a fair bit where you then get an idea of what they're reading, what they recommend, what blog posts they just read that may be something that you want to read as well. And essentially people who have something interesting to say. And you can also do what I do on a regular basis, or I did at least at the beginning when I was first getting going with Twitter. I'd go and look at people who I admired or I valued their insights and the things that they were reading, things that they were recommending, and I would go and see who they followed, see who they thought, you know, was interesting. Ended up picking up some people directly that I found, you know, valuable too to follow on on Twitter. Now it's interesting about I think Facebook and Twitter is that it really comes down to knowing what you can use it for, and I've touched on a bit here, and what you should be contributing as well. A large number of people on all these networks join up but and and observe and that's perfectly fine. Just just consume the information that's there. But don't, you know, contribute a lot themselves. So number four is to communicate regularly, to really, you know, launch into these. These work best when the communication really is two way. So you can 
you know, answer the question that it asks, whether it's the Twitter one, what are you doing or whatever it says. Um, and the uh, Facebook one has actually changed a bit. Now it says something like, you know, what's on your mind, but take that little status update field in Facebook and it's uh, relatively unlimited in terms of length in Facebook and Twitter, it's limited to 140 characters, which out of interest originated from it uh, being primarily for the cell phone text messaging format initially. But um, people find that it's very useful to have a limited space, 140 characters max, to say what you want to say. But what I was going to say is that use that space, you know, wisely. And some ideas in terms of what to put there is, you know, put the kind of stuff that you're reading, put uh, uh, interesting things that you're doing, uh, things that you may want to do with others, invite others to, to join you, if that's appropriate in terms of the type of thing it is that you're thinking of doing. Ask questions. This is one thing that very few people actually do do. I do a fair bit. And some of this depends a little on how many followers you have, in on Twitter and also the number of friends you have on Facebook. But if you've got a reasonable number, it's actually quite good to use these communication mechanisms, whether you're, you know, more directly linked to friends and family, let's say, which is more often the case on, on Facebook or uh, a number of other people you don't know as well on Twitter, depending on the type of audience that you have there or a set of friends, you can ask a variety of questions. So I ask a number of questions that are related to the work that I do every day using my sort of professional Twitter account or my company level uh, Twitter account. I also run polls there that I find are, are useful just to get an idea of, you know, what people's experiences are, what uh, proportion of them are doing this or that or the other thing. And you can also ask questions like if you're uh, wanting to think through a set of alternatives of books you want to read next, well, ask your friends. You'll get, you know, direct feedback. If you're thinking of buying something in particular and you want to get some insights uh, on it, ask the question. It's, uh, it's truly a wonderful way of very quickly getting a dialogue going with people that happen to be available to provide that information. And it brings you closer to them, but it also makes it um, a little... Uh, different from what most people think they should be writing in those status updates. You know, those status updates, uh, when people just first start off with Facebook or Twitter, you know, answers the basic question of what, what are you doing? And this is also the thing that gets into comics and gets into other kind of criticisms of these kinds of social networks when people talk about, oh yeah, well, I I just had some cereal for breakfast or I just, you know, really mundane stuff. And, you know, some of the time that's appropriate, but, you know, a lot of the time, you know, those things really aren't the most significant things that you, you know, read in these uh, update spaces. And, you know, you should really think through what kinds of things you might want to actually say there to get some interesting reactions and feedback as well. So I would suggest that you also think about just asking questions or saying interesting things to want to get feedback on. I think one of the most interesting things is to uh, get the kinds of uh, dialogues going with people in these spaces where you can get some uh, direct insight into, you know, their ideas, their thoughts on particular topics. And, uh, and the beauty of this is that it's all done asynchronously, meaning you don't have to be there right at that moment, but uh, you put something out there on one of these systems and you get some interesting, you know, feedback uh, from them as well. Uh, based on what you say. So, you know, there are a variety of ways of doing that. On Facebook, it's fairly straightforward in that you might ask a question uh, there and or make a comment, and people just provide comments on your comment, and the others can see the responses as well. You can also obviously get into, you know, sharing of photographs and the like and making comments and uh, indicating which ones you like there. And that kind of thing is very valuable. Other people write notes in the notes section and can share some really interesting ideas, you know, there as well. Of course, you can share the uh, your likes and dislikes with regard to music or um, literature. Uh, you can also do something that I really haven't gotten much into 
and that is a lot of the little apps, the little games that you can play as well, and you get to know people that are in your group of friends more deeply, and that can be a lot, a lot of fun as, as well. I see a lot of that going on. In, in terms of Twitter, you can also, in terms of the interaction styles and what things are, are possible, you can also have whatever it is that you say uh, shared with others. It's called retweeting, or it's essentially saying, hey, this uh, person really said something interesting. I'd like to share it with others. That's always a something that makes you feel good, the one way of getting your ideas out there and shared with others. And if those people have a large following, you can have an impact on a fairly large number of people with some things that you say in that space. If that's something that interests you, you can also just reply directly back publicly and openly using the reply uh, capability in uh, Twitter. So you can just have conversations, choose anybody, you know, whether it's celebs or whether it's, uh, you know, a colleague or somebody you don't even know at all, but is saying something interesting to you or that something that you disagree with. You can just reply directly in there with others able to see your responses as well and have a communication, have a dialogue. You can also do private direct messaging to people as well as long as they are following you and essentially have an email type communication as well, but it's still limited to the 140 characters. So there's a variety of ways of interacting on both of these networks where you can actually really have an exchange. So uh, it's perfectly fine to only observe. The majority of people still really, I think, observe or just follow and watch what's going on on these systems. But I'd like to encourage you to actually get in there and communicate regularly as well. Number five is to go mobile. A lot of this, and when we talk about that 66% of people's time is in uh, interacting electronically, you know, if all of that inter interaction, all this computer-based uh, interaction is actually via your computer uh, and your uh, computer is in a fixed place, then uh, you're not moving around much. You're not able to take advantage of the fact that we really do have these technologies to be able to interact on these systems and others. Uh, realize that telephone or a cell phone communication is also electronic. So there's a variety of ways that you can stay in contact and communicate with people on a regular basis, whether it's using these things that I've just been describing, the Facebook and Twitter, but also any of the other ways that you can interact. You can do that using mobile devices as well, and it's a whole lot more convenient to keep up that level of communication electronically using, for example, you know, texting, an uh, interesting uh, verb now that uh, has come up, but it's basically, you know, the ability to, to send short messages to uh, one another. I've talked uh, before on this podcast series about the fact that I use text messaging with friends and family, uh, especially with my kids, to keep in touch with them as well. And there are also equivalent applications or apps as they're called on, for example, the iPhone and on the BlackBerry to increase your ability to use uh, communications in dealing with, for example, even the Facebooks and the Twitters that I just talked about as well. Uh, very, very good little uh, applications for, for doing that. Okay, next, number six, is to add a video. Now, a lot of what we've been talking about thus far with regard to Facebook, Twitter, texting, and all of that, all that electronic communication is largely word-based, right? It's uh, largely you're using um, words and, and sentences in written form in a variety of ways to share with others and use as the mechanism of communication. What's interesting about that is that it's a fairly narrow channel of communication, right? You don't have any of the nuance of facial expression. You don't even have the channel of uh, auditory uh, using your voice to modulate and the like. And so using audio and using video in electronic communication really does open the aperture, you know, widens the number of attributes or aspects of your communication and makes you able to communicate more effectively as well. So there are lots and lots of uses, as I've been talking about mostly thus far, of using 
the social networks and largely those are using, um, like I say, written uh, language. But spoken language and, and also adding video to that, I think, adds uh, dramatically the ability that you have to communicate. Now, there are lots of instances where that's not convenient. So something like uh, Twitter, yeah, you just want to use the, uh, you know, the characters on, on a cell phone or whatever to communicate with, uh, with others. Uh, but I think when you're into working with colleagues uh, in a work setting, and increasingly we see people working with people far away from them either and there was a dedicated episode that i did many many episodes ago now on this working remotely either working remotely by just working from home or people are doing that increasingly as well as working from other parts of the world and working with colleagues that may be in a different geography may be in a different country may be in a different time zone and a lot of people use you know, the typical written language communication of uh, email, for example, to do that level of communication, or chats like MSN chat, same time chat, Google chat, those ones. Uh, but, uh, and those are effective as well for the purpose that they're intended. But you may well also want to consider adding audio and video. And so audio obviously is is conference calls and that kind of thing. But if you do conference calls today, I would strongly suggest that you look into using video with that as well. And, you know, one of the best ones that um, are available for free is actually uh, Skype. So Skype using uh, Skype audio, you can certainly do that. You can also add video to that and essentially get a, you know, almost being there in person experience. And so when I talked earlier about linking up directly to family and friends that you may not have seen for a long time, and they may actually be, you know, somewhere else in the world that you aren't able to get to very easily, you can connect directly to them and have, for example, a video uh, Skype session. And it's like almost being there. Yeah, you won't be shaking their hands, won't be able to give them the hug and, and that kind of thing, or, or, or be able to, you know, go and have a meal together. And those, those things are very important, I think, as aspects of so, social interaction. But a good chunk of the channels of communication that we use and that are, in, that are important to us as human beings are provided by the video and the audio channel as well. So, Think of in instances of communication that you're about to have, let's say, with somebody, whether that's in a work setting, whether it's a family uh, situation, whether it's a university-based one, uh, whether it's uh, directly with friends, think about what might be the best way to do that. may be just sharing photographs and the like on Facebook. It may be just doing a chat-type uh, session, electronic chat type session with them. Uh, that may well be appropriate. Uh, may well be to use, you know, email. May also be to add some additional channels, and that is a phone call, or add video to that as well and make it even that much uh, richer. So think of all of the channels and think of what it is that you want to accomplish. I, I, I find that in situations, for example, where really have got to do some fairly careful negotiation with somebody at work or even, you know, working with a number of colleagues that that quite frankly can work well together, but, you know, they're they're not the type of people that would be friends outside of work, but are effective at communicating, but at times can get you know, a little testy, a little, um, a little rough around the edges in terms of communication. Uh, the real message doesn't come through because, you know, it's limited by the channel of communication that we're using. So if we use, let's say, a phone call for that sort of situation or a conference call, and let's say that there's also even a difficulty hearing some of the people, and that's often the case when you use conference calls and you can't really hear everybody that's there because they're farther away from a, uh, a unit like a, uh, a telephone. You want to then think of adding, for example, the, the video capability. And my experience on my teams at work suggests that that adds an amazing amount of 
depth of communication and breadth of communication to the point where the interaction is much more effective. You more effectively get to the resolution of issues. You prevent, you know, getting into problems because people are able to sense, as a perfect example, if you don't have the video channel, the visual sort of channel of communication, you're not aware of people's expressions. You don't know what the reaction is that you're having on them. You know, it might be that what you're saying is really annoying them. Well, you know, if you only hear that when you finally finish saying everything you were going to say and you hear it back in an auditory form, then, you know, you've got a spiraling quality of the interaction that's going downward. If, on the other hand, you were able to sense while you were saying that, that, you know, you weren't really hitting the mark and that they're actually really having some problem with that, you can interrupt what you're saying and, you know, ask them for clarification and what their reaction is to it before you had that downwardly spiral of uh, communication. You can also determine whether somebody is going to be interested in saying something. So you can see that anticipatory look in their eye. They're, they're about to say something. And if you don't notice that, you can, you know, talk all over them. And it's often the case that people that have the louder voices, uh, often the males in the group, uh, sort of monopolize the communication. And uh, as a result, you may have certain communication that didn't happen properly somebody's view that didn't get expressed, some concern that somebody had that didn't get voiced, or you just simply didn't capture the ideas of everybody that was in the group. And there may well be somebody there that had an idea that didn't get expressed because you weren't able to notice that they may have had something they wanted to say and that the anticipation was there in their face, but you didn't detect it because you only use the audio channel or the auditory channel. So I'd highly recommend that you think in situations like that, whether that's, you know, a school project you're doing at university and you're going to go do some work where everybody is in their dorms or everybody is working from different locations. Think about that uh, even in those cases, that even though you typically do that using your phone or your cell phones, you might, might want to add video to that and try a, a session, even if you can't get together in person, and see how effective that can, in fact, be. The other thing that uh, I want to reinforce as well is that you can also, because a lot of this communication is possible, especially even ones that are involve uh, computers, with the uh, availability of Wi-Fi all over the place, so in coffee shops and the like, uh, that's another sort of liberator in many ways in the way that we used to do work. It used to be the case you had to be in an office, you had to be at school in a library or whatever, and now you can be anywhere. So you can be sitting in a coffee shop and have some, you know, Wi-Fi connection there and do really good work. I find that it's a great way to really focus. You know, it works some of the time, lots of interruptions, people coming in and and some of the time that's necessary, of course, to uh, to talk to you about something. There's other times you really want to be heads down. And it may be the case that your home also isn't necessarily conducive or your dorm, if you're at university for that, or, or a, a house that you have a whole lot of you know students together, like, uh, for example, you may want to just get out of there and want to actually really focus. And so using places like uh, coffee shops or sometimes even libraries that have decent uh, Wi-Fi connections really make that, you know, possible. So again, electronic communication is possible anywhere. And I think it's really worth sitting back thinking about what the most effective way of using this technology is to your own benefit, right? So the number seven is to hone your electronic communication skills. And this is really a stepping back again and thinking, in addition to what I just said about finding the right mechanism for using uh, to do your electronic communication, whether you're going to add video or wh whether you're going to use audio, whether you're going to use, you know, short uh, text messages or whether you're going to use email. All of those things are important, but what's also important is how you actually use them. 
So as I said off the top, a lot of people don't really appreciate the degree to which they use electronic communication and assume that they work the same as anything else. So somebody will write a, an email, for example, and be, be really, really brief in what they say to the point where it can be really confusing and can actually lead to some significant misunderstanding in a very negative way, too, because they didn't really explain themselves. So, for example, if they were to say uh, a line directly in response to what somebody else said. Let's say it's a reply email and somebody were to just respond with what question mark in reply. You know, that in a regular, you know, face-to-face communication, let's say, could lead directly to a clarification of what it is that they were really meaning when they said what. But if you see that in an email and you're staring at that and you're thinking that reaction and you're thinking, what does this person mean? Well, they don't, they don't buy everything I just said. I don't, it's very confusing and can, can lead to some real miscommunication. And so what I'd like to suggest is that you take a bit of time to think about the mode of communication that you're using when you're using electronic communication and think about how best to use it. So uh, if there's going to be some communication like email that's going to rear around for a while without any ability from you to clarify, be a little bit more expansive, be a little bit more descriptive in what it is that you're saying, especially if you're going to say something that's potentially negative. You know, explain a little more. It has to have some context or else you're going to not only not communicate effectively, but you're also going to potentially negatively impact the relationship you have with that person. Right? So you want to make sure that when you're communicating that way, the communication needs to stand on its own, especially if it's going to be around for a while and there's no easy way of you know, clarifying you know, back again as well. Uh, same thing with like text messaging. Some of the time somebody will come back and communicate something and you really don't get what they said at all. There at least you can fairly quickly turn around that communication back again. Also, you want to think of etiquette, right? especially in the, the instant messaging chat kind of area. Here you have an instance where you're typically interrupting somebody. So it's not like email. In the email, you send an email and the person deals with it, when it if, whatever it is that they would like to do it, or whether you're sending a message within Facebook and the like. That's asynchronous, you know, meaning that you can send it and they can respond when it's convenient for them to do so. Some other types of communications, though, like you know, text messaging is somewhat more like that, but definitely instant messaging is, by its very definition, instant and can be really disruptive. And there's some really good uh, practices, I think, that you really need to think through in dealing with this mode of communication. I think you want to First of all, pay attention to the status indication capability that is uh, on these systems. So where you have, for example, whether the person is available or not, or whether they're in a meeting or whether they are uh, away from their desk or, or whatever, you, you want to pay attention to those because those uh, explicitly state whether somebody is available or the, the degree to which they're interruptible. There are also instances, though, where, and I would suggest the majority of the time, people don't actually use those status indications very much and leave them just on active. Well, a lot of the time when people have left them on active, you, meaning available, you, I think, have to appropriately check to see whether they are, in fact, available. So rather than writing a whole paragraph of stuff that you want to have them, you know, read and get feedback back to you on. You want to first just check for a minute to see whether their, you know, status is in fact, you know, that they're available or whether they're really not. So doing a very quick, you know, hi, are you available for a short chat question first is often very good. I mean, that's one where somebody can respond quickly and say, yep, yeah, what's up? 
or they can say, oh, no, sorry, I'm right in the middle of something, you know, or I can respond slowly, uh, but I can't uh, respond very quickly because I'm involved in another, you know, conference call or whatever. But it's a good practice to always check to see whether the person is really available, even though their status message may suggest that they are. So that's a, a good practice, I think, in general. You want to also, I think, in these kinds of, and this goes for text messaging as well as instant messaging, it's also often a good practice to really enforce the you talk, then I talk, and then you talk, and the like. It doesn't have to always be that way, but some of the time you can seem pushy if you're constantly writing, you know, you have like five instant messages when the other person hasn't had a chance to even respond yet. So slow down the communication a bit, whether again, it's a text message where you have this flood of information coming. It may be the case that the other person may not also type as fast as you do. And so take that into consideration because it can be quite frustrating. I think by certain people that haven't had the chance to respond back yet. And it can also really be something where you're not really being very polite to them. You know, in normal conversation, if you're talking all over them and never giving them an opportunity to talk, you'd be a little bit more, uh, you know, aware of that you are doing that. But often it isn't the case in, in electronic communication. And you also don't know because you don't see their facial expression or their auditory cues that um, whether you're really having a negative effect on them. So try to pace the communication somewhat naturally by uh, slowing it down, uh, doing a, an exchange of information, you know, back and forth as well. So try to hone your overall communication skills in all of these, all of these ways. I, I mentioned earlier about the use of video as well when you're wanting to add that, whether it's for personal purposes or whether it's work or, or school-based uh, communication. And take into account here too, again, step back and think about it for a minute. It's really my main message here, that if you're going to add, you know, video, think of the way that you would communicate that person with that person if you were there in person with them. A lot of people just take it for granted that, okay, we'll turn on the video. Well, hey, is it appropriate, the environment that you're in right then, even what you're wearing, or even the the environment that's shown behind what it is that you're doing? Think about, too, when you're doing that kind of video work, a lot of people do that from home, and they might do it for work reasons or whatever. You want to then, you know, factor in interruptions, too. Uh, often it's the case that uh, if you have a lot of people together on either a conference call or with a video uh, call, that um, people don't effectively turn off all the other communication mechanisms. And if you have a number of people that are on together, you amplify uh, the number of interruptions that you can get. So there again, think through the various channels of communication, how much they're going to interrupt one another, and also to um, step back think about what impression you're leaving, you know, as well. Number eight is to set the appropriate privacy level for your communication. And I touched on this a little earlier on, and especially in the areas of Facebook, you know, decide who you want to share what type of information with. The default in Facebook is fairly wide open because the overall intention and the overall theme is the social network to share fairly openly. So you'd be surprised how much the information that you provide on Facebook is actually accessible to uh, many, many people. In fact, many people who, who are in your primary network. So if your primary network is, for example, the city that you live in, or it's the company that you work for, or it's the university that you're going to, anybody that's in that network gets to see an awful lot of what you put there. But the system is such that you can further restrict that uh, by going into the privacy settings and determining what level of information is appropriate for different types of, of groups. So I, I would suggest that you have a look at that. Now, our overall assumption about privacy is changing somewhat too with all these networks. I think across all of society, we're seeing a real change in how private we are now, partly due to these kinds of mechanisms. But even 
even with those kinds of changes in society, I'd still suggest that you have a look, decide whether the sharing capabilities and the sharing settings that are in things like uh, Facebook are in fact appropriate for what you would expect and you want it to be. Uh, think too, if you're on Twitter, most people will be using personal Twitter accounts and that's fine. You use your name and the like. Others may be doing, like I do, work uh, of having a, a work-based or a university-based Twitter account. And it's a good practice there to, to uh, differentiate what it is that you communicate versus, on one versus the other. And it's a good practice to separate those. And also then to make sure that you communicate uh, on the, uh, let's say, the company-based one or the university-based one you know, appropriate content and the like, uh, as if it were in fact coming from your company, which it is when you put that name on the, uh, on the title of the actual account. And so again, it's a good way of separating work from our professional sorts of things from personal things. But again, think through there, whether the level of sharing capabilities are consistent with what it is that you expect. Number nine is to plan your electronic communication. And that is that uh, social networking systems, especially things like Facebook and Twitter and texting for that matter and instant messaging, as well as, you know, these uh, video uh, chat things as well. All of these things can suck you in. Even email, you know, can. These are things that have this ability to capture the human imagination to a degree that you can easily overdo it in working with these systems. And so it's a really good practice to set some time limits, you know, that you're only going to go on Facebook or Twitter for X amount of time, and you're going to do it, you know, four times a day or something, or twice a day or once a day, uh, or once a week. Whatever you think is appropriate for what you're comfortable with. And if you notice that there's a trend in you being a little bit um, getting off the rails and uh, it's taking a little bit too much of your time, if you're finding at the end of the day that you've spent too much time on these kinds of things, then uh, set yourself some limits and uh, impose them by, you know, using alarms, using a variety of things, because these do truly suck you in. And that's why so many people use them all the time. And so uh, I think it's very clear that there are great benefits to these things, um, but there are also instances where you want to basically limit them as well. So set yourself some limits, some time limits in particular. Uh, there are also times that despite the fact that most people that are on Twitter uh, have or that are active on it have a Twitter client or the Twitter website uh, visible to them most of the day, if you find that it's starting to be too too distracting, well, turn it off. Just do it, you know, a variety of very planned times of the day as well. And number 10 is to unplug entirely. Have electronic-free sabbaticals. Perhaps make Sundays, for example, your screen-free days for yourself as well as significant others around you. You know, for your kids, for example. A lot of people are spending an awful lot of time in these systems, and it's, I think, a good practice to, as one of the quotes that we got into earlier as well talked about, it's good sometimes to completely unplug, to read a book, to have a interaction with somebody else that's just purely face-to-face. -face. And, you know, with all of this talk of electronic communication, all of this is all new and exciting and in many ways, really valuable, but we also have to realize its limits. So not only should you, you know, schedule your time for some of these things, but you also really want to appreciate and celebrate a lot of the non-electronic communications that we can have and how enjoyable those are as well. And so I'd suggest taking these blocks of time Ideally, during the, the week, even just ha having a whole day or maybe half a day, but it's easy to actually say, okay, Sundays are going to be screen-free days. They may be family days or whatever, and 
do things like, um, you know, board games or going, you know, out uh, for, for dinner or, or whatever the particular activities that you may really enjoy, but really try to limit and totally break free and be unplugged from all this electronic communication at some point during your, during your week. So that's the overall topic of electronic communication. I hope that information was valuable to you in some ways. I'd like to also encourage you to go to my uh, personal blog at carlvradenberg.com. I'm now integrating all of the content that I have, whether I'm blogging about something, whether I'm putting a podcast out like this, as well as the other podcasts that I do called UX Design Cast. I put those all available for direct streaming, as well as any notes about the particular episodes, for example, the show notes and links and the like I make available there as well. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so by going to um, my name, basically. I also do the IBM Design as my company-based Twitter account, but you can just use my name. Uh, you can also link to me on Facebook if you like, again, by my name. I'd like to also encourage you to, if you don't already, subscribe to this podcast directly within iTunes or now also the podcast is available in the Zune store as well, if that is the unit that you use. So you can very easily go in there and subscribe so that when a new episode is available, you get it directly immediately to your uh, iTunes or, or Zune, your, your iPod, your iPhone, or your, your Zune, and be able to conveniently listen to it wherever you may do that. I'd like to also encourage you, and I'd like to first of all thank too, the number of people who have sent me email, and you can send me email at lifehabits at gmail.com. You can uh, also provide uh, ratings and comments directly in iTunes and also on the Zoom site as well. And a number of people have been doing that and have very positive feedback, and I really appreciate that. Uh, there has also been a bit of a delay since the last uh, episode in this series due to a number of things. Uh, I was actually sick for a while and then also had some laryngitis. And speaking of electronic communication, it's very difficult to do an auditory-based set of communication when you actually don't have your voice available to you in, in order to use. And so uh, there are a variety of things like that that, uh, that delayed the availability of this uh, episode. But I certainly intend to make these available again regularly uh, to you and uh, hope you continue to enjoy them as well. So please do send me email for any feedback you might have, uh, any suggestions you might have as well in terms of particular topics. Any anecdotes you want to share with the rest of the listeners or just directly with me about anything that you have heard in this overall series, as well as any anything else that you would like to communicate. So uh, it's always great to have direct communication with people who listen to this series. I know that it's still increasing regularly in its uh, popularity, and that's uh, very heartening. And I thank you all for that. I'm also very honored by the feedback that I've received. So that's it for this episode, and we'll talk to you all next time, and bye for now.